Now today, we are beginning a new pulpit series on the book of 2 Thessalonians, but it's really not so much about one book as much as it is about a church, an ancient church, um, and, our, and, and what we can learn from it. In fact, we had, we had a different thing planned for the pulpit this May. And as we were approaching uh, um, the month of May, I started to review uh, uh, the things we were going to, to, to be going through from the pulpit. And I sensed it that, okay, maybe not, not the word for this season. And I was sensing it in my heart and I hadn't mentioned it. I hadn't said it to anybody. And then one day I was talking to Athalia and she said, hey, you know that series that you wanted to do in May? I sense maybe not now. And I was like, wow, wow, that's such a confirmation. And I started to seek the Lord and to, and to um, go through uh, the Word of God. And then my eyes landed on 2 Thessalonians. And, and I started to read through it again and, and read 1 Thessalonians again. And I saw things, saw things that were in it, which, which the Lord just impressed upon me. This is something to share to the church. Do a little mini-series, seven-part mini-series on the church in Thessalonica and we will see what the Lord is going to shape us into. Now, here's the thing. The church in Thessalonica is a fascinating church. In many ways, it's an admirable church. In many ways, it is a church that we should want to emulate. And the thing is, Often, when we come up to the pulpit, pastors, preachers, we come and we share the Word of God, we encourage you to grow in the likeness of Christ. Every day, every Sunday, we come and we encourage you to grow in the likeness of Christ. But maybe one thing we don't say often enough is to encourage us as a church to have role models for who we as a church aspire to be like. And Jesus is the head of the church and he has given us pictures of the church for us to aspire toward. And as I read through First and Second Thessalonians and I listened to it on my audio Bible, on all my drives, I just let it loop and I, and, and I steep in it. I really sense that there's so much for us to aspire toward through this Thessalonian, Thessalonian church. And so, the baseline is we'll be tracking 2 Thessalonians, but there'll be many flashbacks to 1 Thessalonians, and there'll be even a little bit of flashbacks to the, the, to the mention of this church in the book of Acts. Okay, so before I jump into the portion from the book of Acts, let me open with prayer. Okay, come, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we sit under the authority of your word. Father, even for myself, as the one delivering this, Father, I come under the authority of your word. I pray, Lord God, that your word today will go forth. Your word will go forth with no hindrance. Your word will go forth with no agenda. Your word will go forth with no, uh, uh, with no uh, champotangan tangan uh, uh, um, that is beyond all that you want to say. So, Lord, I pray that you yourself will champotangan tangan so that everything we do, Every word, every impression, every thought, every idea, every spiritual uh, uh, leading and guiding will be of God completely. And all of God's people say, Amen. Now, in the book of Acts, 
chapter 17, it speaks about an incident when Paul and Silas, they are, they are, for those of you who are new, they are missionaries. They are going from city to city um, uh, in the Mediterranean Europe uh, to spread the, king, the news of the kingdom of King Jesus. And so it says in Acts 17 this, Now when they, that is Paul and Silas, had passed through a couple of cities, right? Amphipolis and Apollonia, right? Doesn't matter. They came to a city called Thessalonica. And that's where we'll be camping out in, right? Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, meaning three successive Saturdays. So they spent about three weeks plus there at least, okay? On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And when he says from the Scriptures, there's no New Testament yet. Right, yeah, because the New Testament is being lived out at that at real time, right? So when he says in in the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament, right? From Genesis to Malachi, or for the Jews, they order it differently. It's from Genesis uh, to Second Chronicles, right? They order it that way. From the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for what? For the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So it is possible to show from the Old Testament that the Christ suffers and rises from the dead and saying that this Jesus, this historical Jesus, this Jesus who in our own lifetime, back then for them, in our own lifetime was captured, crucified, put into a tomb and resurrected that Jesus, the Jesus of all the controversies, the Jesus of all the, the rumors that you've heard people speak of, the Jesus that people said all the way over in Judea, that Jesus, yes, that Jesus was the Christ of the Old Testament. Come, and now He is the Christ risen from the dead. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Messiah, Meshach, right? He is the Christ. And some of them, that is the Jews, who gathered in the synagogue, some of them have colored that green, were persuaded. They saw. They saw in the scriptures. And so was made good. The word in Psalm 119, Lord, open my eyes that I may see beautiful things in your law. They saw through scriptures that this is the Christ. Wow. Has it ever happened to you that You've seen the same thing about a million times. Maybe you pass by that way every day on your way to work. Maybe it's someone, if you're single, it's like a girl in your cell or a girl at your workplace or a guy if you're a girl, whatever, you know, and you see them every day, right? Or maybe it is a scene, right? A, a scenery that you pass by all the time and you see it every day. It's kind of become mundane. It's kind of become normal. And then one day, it's as if scales fell from your eyes and you saw it, and it's different. You're like, you mean this is in my backyard? Oh, wow. I could stare at this for, for hours, right? I said it doesn't stay that way for hours, right? The light changes and everything, right? Or, or, if, or, or, if, you're, or if you're a single guy, you see a girl, and you're like, oh. what happened? It's like I woke up today and the scales fell from my eyes, right? And if you, and, and if you are from, the, uh, from my father's generation, right? You remember a, a Neil Sedeka song, 
that that goes happy birthday sweet 16 do you remember that song right any of you you're, you're nodding your head right and it's like and there's a verse that says that what happened to that funny face right um that little tomboy now something 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 right you turn into the prettiest girl I've ever seen. Happy birthday, sweet 16. And that's for my wife, yeah. She's not 16, but happy birthday, sweet whatever, right? Anyways, that singer is articulating what these Jews are, are experiencing in some other way or form, right? Because one day, they woke up and they looked into their scriptures and they finally saw something that they had never seen before. And not just them. They were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks. Now, a different group, and it's not just a few, a great many of the devout Greeks started to join them as well. And then, not a few, by the way, Book of Acts, huh? Luke writes it with a lot of this kind of gra grammatical structure. It doesn't say many, he huh? says not a few, right? means it's quite, a, it's quite a lot, okay? And not a few of the leading women. So I started to think, what's the composition of this Thessalonican church? It it probably looks a little bit like this. You've got the Jewish community coming into the church. You've got the devout Greeks coming into the church. And then the leading women is not like a different racial group, right? So I'm, so I'm guessing that the leading women were leading women in the community of the Jewish people and quite possibly the leading women in the community of the devout Greeks. And so you've got a mixed church as we do here today. Right in front of us, we have a diverse church. And so they had a diverse church. They're Greeks, they're Jews, they're men, they're women. And these women were not just uh, 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 ordinary women, like maybe many of the men uh, uh, in their midst, but they were the leading women in their communities. And so as we go through and understand the, 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 the church in Thessalonica, we should Go remember this in mind, right? Just have this in the back of your mind that, that every, almost every, um, every profile could possibly have been uh, uh, captured in this church. Now, I want to tell you something about the rest of the Jews, okay, who are not part of the ones. So imagine the white and red lines are the church, right? The rest of the Jews who are not part of the church, something happens with them. The Jews were jealous, the rest of them, okay? And taking some wicked men off the rebel, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar. I want you to hear some of these words, right? Uproar, mob, attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. Jason would have been one of the devout Greeks, okay? Because Jason is a Greek name, right? Um, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. And guess what? We're going to put at the back of our minds, hole in bookmark, the angry mob, the dragging out to the city, the attacking, okay? Just bookmark that, because the real issue at hand, happening in Thessalonica, is another King Jesus. It is about another King Jesus. There is another King in the midst and those who have pledged allegiance to the former King do not appreciate that in their own backyard, 
there are those who have now pledged a new allegiance to another king, Jesus. And that's what it looks like for every single one of us. It may not happen to the extent that there is an angry mob and we pray there never will be one. But in all your homes, in all your workplaces, in all your neighborhood communities, and some of you have felt it more tangibly than others, where you are, some bend their knee to one king and then you bend your knee to King Jesus. There is another king. And that's what's happening in Thessalonica. And that's very important because at the end of last year, when I was seeking the Lord about where, what the Lord wants to lead us into from a theological point of view, from a teaching devotional point of view, from a shaping of our heart spiritually point of view, the Lord said, show the church what it means to be part of a kingdom, a king's kingdom. Show them that I am king. Show them that I am saviour and king. Show them that I am their hope and king. Show them that I am their forgiver and king. I am their king. And, the, and, and they are to bend their knee before me and show me allegiance. And in that allegiance, there is life and everlasting life. In the allegiance to King Jesus. That's what's happening in Thessalonica. And I want to show you this because I'm fascinated by this, okay? Um, if, you, if you read your New Testament a lot, but you just breeze through it, you may not have noticed it. But then you start to pause for a moment and you look more closely, you will realize that Paul rarely talks about the kingdom of God. And the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, rarely talk about, always talk about the kingdom of God. Okay, you read, go home and read. Matthew, Mark, Luke is full of references to the kingdom of God. And then you get to John. And John doesn't mention the kingdom of God so much. John, Johannan writing, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation talk a lot about everlasting life. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke is focusing on the kingdom of God. John and all of his writings talk a lot about everlasting life. And then Paul's writing talks a lot about salvation by faith through, through grace alone, right? And so, and so you have got all three major contributors uh, to the New Testament attacking what I believe is the same thing using different words. Attacking what I believe are little facets, little different facets of the same thing using different ideas and large, large concepts. And so it fascinated me to no end when I started to see Paul, like I was just going through 2 Thessalonians, I saw that Paul is talking about kingdom of God. And I was like, okay, I want to delve a little deeper into this because in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes this, For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, that's Paul speaking to the church, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so, you will see in the Thessalonian church that there is a call. Church, there is a call. And it's not just pastor call. Anybody call. It's not your cell leader call, right? God has spoken a word over every single one of you. As he did with the church of Thessalonica, he speaks a word over you and he beckons you into a kingdom that is pregnant with glory, bursting with glory. He calls you into a rulership. 
He calls you into citizenry of Yahweh. He calls you into that kingdom. There is a call. It's gone out. You have received it. Today you are here to act as members of that kingdom, to act as citizens of a higher, of, of a higher country, right? And he says this in 2 Thessalonians. This is the evidence. What is the, this? That is the, 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 the clash between good and evil, okay? This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Means that now that we have been called, now that we have been called by God to be part of this kingdom, there is a way to live that is unworthy of the call. So imagine if you were made Prime Minister of Malaysia, and every day you twankaja, you go play golf. Every day you just blow all the all, all, all the PM's budget on on your own your own excesses. And let's say you blah 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 lah, You know you don't go and work. You just delegate everything, and then you just lepa. You know and, and live on, on on your riches or the country's riches for one election cycle, right? Like, well, yeah, it's fun. You know, living it up. You are living in a manner unworthy of that office. People look at you, they say, not worthy of the office, right? The same thing, except that you have been called to a higher call than Prime Minister of Malaysia on some level. Okay, I, I know on, on one level, Prime Minister of Malaysia is an extremely, extremely high and important office in Malaysia. And we pray over that office that God will raise up the right people to steward that office. But you know what? Every single one of you, has a call to be members and, 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 and growers in a kingdom that will last beyond the kingdom of Malaysia. It will, right? And, and that, on some eternal level, is a higher call. Now, he says, live a life worthy. Worthy of that call. So neither shall you flitter away your life. Neither shall all of us as members of the kingdom, waste it away and steward it poorly. We will steward it to the highest standard of stewardship that we can. God has given us something precious, an office bearer. We are all office bearers. And the Thessalonican church will teach us how to be that office bearer. Today, I don't have three clear points, you know. It's not a three-point sermon in a traditional sense. In, man, in many ways, it's an overview. I'm just going to be sprinkling over you many of the themes we will be engaging with across the next six weeks. And so, remember just now I told you to park all the rebel and the attacking and the dragging out into the city, bookmark it, okay? Because now we're going to come to that, right? What's going to happen is there was a mob, okay? There was an uproar. They were attacked. They were dragged. Now, you might think, oh, I thought they were told to live a life worthy of the kingdom. But how come so susale? You know, the Thessalonican church was heavily persecuted. Who? By whom? Just now I showed you that graph, right? Okay, the, the, the almost like a Venn uh, chart, right? By the people who did not feel it was right for, to bend your knee before a different king. And so we see a clash, a tension in the church of Thessalonica. We see the tension in the city itself. It spills out of the synagogues into the city streets. And so this is taking place. But while all this is taking place, guess what's happening to the church? What do you think, if you look into church history, if you look into what happens with the believers of Jesus Christ, 
over and over again, super consistently, whenever a mob uproar attack drag them out and persecute them, what happens to the church? It grows. It grows how? Stronger. What else? Numerically, they grow bigger. Resilient. What else? Come on, church. Further, they're growing further. That's right. What else? They're growing faith. They're growing faith. What else? Come on, someone from the back. They're growing in sacrifice. They're growing sacrifice. And everything you've said is true and is true of the church in Thessalonica, right? First Thessalonians 1, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy. So they even grow in joy. And this is not a, a, a masochistic joy where it's like, oh, when you hurt me, I feel happy. It's not that kind of joy, right? But in the joy when they suffer, sometimes for the Lord, sometimes for their brother or sister, when they suffer for one another, and when they suffer for their, for, for their Lord, who, by the way, suffered for them, a suffering far greater than we can ever replicate back for Him, they suffer in the joy of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a humanly joy. It's not a joy that you can conjure yourself. It is a joy that comes because the Holy Spirit brings it out. So that as you are taken away from your family, if you have your homes taken away from you, as you are beaten with iron rods, and then the Holy Spirit brings out a joy inside you and tears may roll down and you say, I would do this a million times over for the sake of Jesus. And that is not by might. It's not by power, it's, by, it's not by might, not by strength, but by the power of God, says the Lord. Amen? Second Thessalonians says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you, talking about the church in Thessalonica. And one day, I want to be able to boast about you, SIBKL at Sungai Bulo. I, I know that the day will come when Pastor Chu will boast about you. SIBKL at Sungai Bulo. One day, Pastor Chu uh, uh, will be traveling and he'll be talking about his church in KL and he'll be talking about the days when he was younger and he was senior pastor over SIBKL church. And in those days, they planted this church in Sungai Bulo and then he saw what they were doing. He saw how fervent they were. He saw that they went through hardships and in the midst of hardships, joy was arisen, arising in their hearts and he said, I have a boat about my church plant in Sungai Bulo. And he'll tell people all around the world about you. I believe that. I believe that. And some of you will move on from Sungai Bulo and graduate and become church planters and missionaries and evangelists and whatever, wherever you may be going and more people will come in and we will keep boasting about the work of God in this place. Not out of pride, but out of gratitude to what God can do when ordinary people like all of us are in the hands of an extraordinary God. Amen? Amen? So he boasts about them, why? Boasts about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. That's a good thing to praise God about wherever you go. And so, they grew strong. In the midst of afflictions, they grew strong. Somebody say, grow strong. They grew strong in faith. Somebody say, grow strong in faith. 
and they grew strong in their love for one another. So that's the kind of love I want to see us grow for one another, is to grow a love for one another, to grow strong in faith in the midst of trial and hardship. But this is extremely important. You'll see this in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. But this is super important, and this is why I want us to emulate the church in Thessalonica, because as they grew strong in faith in the midst of, of affliction, it starts to affect different things in their life. It affects boop, their call. Because they are enduring in the midst of hardship, they start living a life worthy of the call of God over them. That's in chapter 1. In chapter 2, they start to stand firm. They don't go young. They don't go ya, right? They don't get blown around like a weed, like a reed. They stand firm. They are feet are on solid ground and the song from their lips is, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will what? Not be shaken because they hold and stand firm. They stand firm. They hold on to the teaching that they were receiving from the apostles before them. Why? Because they grow. Because they first and and they first encountered and faced stared down afflictions face to face. So they are not wimpy. They are not naive. They understand what suffering looks like and feels like. And because they look it in the face. They brave it, they overcome it, not by their own strength. They stand firm. They hold on. And in chapter 3, you're going to see that then they can speed ahead the gospel. They can give acceleration to the gospel. They can put shoes on their feet that carry them to places where no one knows yet about the power of this king. This king who forgives sins. This king who casts out demons. This king who brings healing to all and inner bitterness. This king who changes your life and renews all of creation. Now, they can put wings on those shoes and bring an acceleration to the gospel to go into the land. And in this way, kingdom is being formed. Kingdom is being held. Kingdom is being extended so that the world legitimately becomes a better place to live in. Amen? Amen? And along the way, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all coming out from this call. Two warnings. Everybody say two warnings. Two warnings. The first warning is, there will be lawless men, people in general. Okay, lawless people, but there will be one lawless man, singular M-A-N. There will be one lawless man who will arise and this lawless man will put himself on the throne of God. This lawless man will speak in the voice of God. And in so doing, this lawless man, singular, will draw away many other people, men and women, and all of these whom Paul calls the lawless will find a comeuppance. Who are these people? In many ways, I believe, I will show you on one, two, three, in three weeks' time, that these are the ones who are persecuting them here. These are the ones who not just, while you worship a different king, not just that, but you worship a different king and then persecute, right? 
and the gospel says the, the, the word of God says they will perish. Starting from the lawless M-A-N, the counterfeit king who sits on the counterfeit throne, who pretends to decree a counterfeit decree, he will, he will get his comeuppance and perish by the blast of God's vengeance. And then all who reject, not just reject, but vehemently, angrily reject and punish and persecute those who believe in King Jesus will end up following suit. That's tough. There's a warning. There's one serious warning. And then a second warning at the end. First warning in the center, second warning right at the end of the book of 2 Thessalonians. Don't be lazy. Don't be idle. Which tells you something. It tells you that majority of the church have one work ethic and then there is a subset of the church that have the wrong culture. The wrong culture, the wrong work ethic and what Paul has seen and he's not addressing it in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 1 in the middle of it. So clearly we can, we can kind of in, in infer it's not the major issue. The major issue are these. But as a side, before I close out this letter to the church in Thessalonica, you see it in the first letter, you see it in the second letter. Watch out for those with the wrong culture who bring in this idleness, who bring in this lazy culture, who sit around and don't work, but, but freeload off the rest of the church. I don't know what alasan they give, but they do. And he says, careful with that. Firstly, get up your rear. Get up your rear and work. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what he literally says that. You don't work, you don't eat, right? Well, it's quite hard. Right? It's true, it's true. Even in our world, in our world today, you don't work, you don't eat. You don't work hard, you know? You can't make a living. You can't live every day off a handout, right? at least for those of us who can work, who can work, right? That's part of the issues there. And so the letter to the Thessalonians ends on this note, right? Actually, it ends on another note. I'll get to it in a moment, right? This, these six will form our preaching over the next six weeks. So if you are visiting with us, I really want to extend a huge welcome to you to come back for six consecutive weeks. Okay, there'll be a little break for Father's Day. So come back, you know, for the next seven consecutive weeks and we will go through all of this. And guess what? I, I, my prayer, you'll be really blessed. My prayer is that in a, short, in a short burst, you get a feeling that now I know what Sungai Bulo aspires to be, right? Now I know what kind of church I'm in, okay? And they will not get there overnight but they are on the road there. Why? Because God who calls us is faithful. Amen? Now, there is one little section in 1 Thessalonians 4 that Paul speaks about, okay, what is what is sometimes known as the rapture passage, okay? The rapture passage says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with them together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, this is known as by, to some people as the rapture passage. It describes what some people say is the people of God, dead and living, both being caught up in the air. And that's when there are different opinions, okay? There are different opinions about what happens next after they are caught up in the air because the text is silent, okay? Now, I will not be addressing this in this Thessalonian series because it takes us into end times, you know? And by the way, 
Last year, actually, I was, I was preparing this. I even forgot their main church did Thessalonians series last year, right? Um, and so, if you want, you can go. There are 18 sermons um, on Thessalonians. If you're like geek level, you can go listen to that. But for this particular topic, I preached a sermon entitled United in Always. The link is in the Zoom chat. Coming in into the Zoom chat for you guys who are online, for those of you who are physically there, you can just YouTube this, United in Always, Thessalonians. You can just go through, browse, and you can find it. So in that sermon, I deal with what's happening with this so-called rapture passage, okay? But there's something very fascinating happening here because after Paul writes these words to the Thessalonian church, some people in the Thessalonian church start to panic. They start to panic. And they, what happens is that in between receiving um, the first letter, other voices come in. Other teachings come in. Other words come in. In fact, Paul specifically says other letters get sent. Presuming to be Paul and Silas and Timothy writing these letters to them, but it was not, right? It's fascinating, right? And so there is a mild panic happening in the church saying that, oh my gosh, there's supposed to be this thing called Day of the Lord and we're all supposed to get caught up in the air and I'm still here. Did I miss the rapture? And they start thinking, you got rapture or not? People are going to get lifted up out of the sky and they're going to disappear. Oh my gosh, this, this is weird. I'm still here. You're still here. We missed the boat. Did we miss the boat? Oh no. And then Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians. He writes to them these words. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in reference to what he wrote in 1 Thess 4. And our being gathered together to him. That's his reference to them being caught up in the air with him. We ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken. So he said, calm down. Don't be shaken. I will not be shaken, right? You see it everywhere. In mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Don't be shaken to think that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And after this, he talks about the man of lawlessness, right? The lawless man. And so I thought this was fascinating. It's fascinating because for them, Paul spoke one thing and then Paul spoke one thing else, but in between they heard many other voices in the same way, my friends. You come in here one Sunday you come in here the next Sunday, but in between, Netflix is telling you one thing, right? Reddit is telling you one thing. Fox is telling you one thing. Huffington Post will tell you something else. CNN will tell you one thing else. New York Times will tell you one more thing else. Malaysia Guinea will tell you one more thing else. And then your, your in-laws will tell you one more thing else. Your own parents will tell you one more thing else. And everybody will tell you one more thing else. And some of it will conform to what was spoken on Sunday and some of it will not. And then you go, thank God you got a Monday cell or a Wednesday cell, right? Uh, thank God you come for dominant altar just before that, right? And you will, right? But in between all the in-betweens, you are hearing voices and noises 
from the world around you. You may hear it in your campus, if you are in school, in your uni, you may hear it from your teachers in school or your workplace. So many voices coming in to compete for what is the narrative that you can get, like the Thessalonian church, suddenly just go young a bit. And then on Sunday, all of us will come back again and say, I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Right? And then you stand firm. You hold firm. And you be established where you are standing. In the word of God. In the work of God. In the grand narrative of what God is doing in our world and in our midst. In the narrative of the growing of the good news of the kingdom of King Jesus who died and was resurrected to life so that the whole of the world will be renewed as we rule on his behalf in the world. Amen? That's the grand narrative. And I will keep repeating this grand narrative to you as long as you come to this church and as long as this pulpit is speaking a voice from the Bible, you will hear this, that the grand story will always be that over and over again. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of it over and over again because the day we stop reminding ourselves of it, these voices become louder. All right, church? And so it sounds like a tall order. It sounds like a lot of work. How will we achieve it? He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful to bring it to pass. He who began a good work in you and in your midst and in us as a church will bring it to completion. Now may the God of peace, this is how Paul ends the first letter to the Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, meaning all, all, all the mess is going to cleanse it layer by layer by layer. He's going to degrease us, right? One coating over another. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. So it's going to come, but it hasn't come, okay? Okay, and it's one thing to to expect it to come, okay? It's another thing to, to, to assume it's going to come within our lifetime. I'm not one who assumes it will come within our lifetime because I want to build for the future, okay? And I sometimes hear people say, I, I don't worry about it, lah, by then Jesus come ready. I don't, that's not my thinking. I want to build for the, for the next generation. And I assume that they will, they will take this pulpit one day and they will share the good news. And I will keep being alert and vigilant until the day the master comes, I will not be sleeping and we should not be sleeping for the sake of the next generation. The day you say, I know anyone, lie, you know, Jesus is going to come ready. That's when one eye shuts and you say that, oh, we can slumber. It's always going to come ready anyway, right? It may not. It may not. Every generation thought it was going to come, by the way. Yeah? Okay? Every generation, thousands of years, they all thought, right? Why? But how? He who calls you is faithful. So if you think it's going to be a lot of work, it's not going to be a lot of work on your part. He who calls you is faithful. He will. He will draw us into a work, but he will be faithful to perform it through us. And in 2 Thessalonians, in first one, he says, he who calls you is faithful. At the end of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I forget which verse, he says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. 
And I love this word, establish. He will establish you. He will give you a firm footing. He will give you a firm hold. And on this note, I do want to invite the worship team to come on stage, share this stage with me, and because we're going to worship in a moment. But the Lord who calls you is faithful to establish you, to give you a ground. And it's not a slippery ground because anyone who hears these words of Jesus and puts them into practice will be like the builder who built his house on solid rock so that when the rains came down, top down. When the winds blew hard, sideways. When the flood waters rose up, bottom up. In other words, when the persecution, hardship, affliction, angry mob, whatever it may be. And maybe for you, you will never taste an angry mob. And I praise God if you never. But maybe it will be in a mundane form, in your own homes, at your workplace. Maybe someone just don't like your face because you are a believer of Jesus. Or maybe it will happen in school. Or maybe someone cancels you out and then suddenly your whole group starts cancelling you out. Whatever it is, when it hits you from the top, from the side, from the bottom, but your house is built on the rock, you will not be shaken. Amen? Hallelujah. Church, for the six weeks coming, Last one. We want to stand on ground that will not shift. Because though the earth will quake, and though the winds outside will blow, but as a church and the people, the body of Jesus Christ, if our head, Jesus, is unmoved, we too shall be unmoved. And we will stand firm, but we must be abiding in Christ. If we abide in Christ, we will not go young. Amen. If we abide in Christ, we will not be shaken. Amen. And we will be established in the Lord. He will bring it to pass. The one who calls you is faithful. Now may the same Lord who calls us, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, be abundantly kind and generous and merciful upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance towards you, see you, notice you, and grant you peace. And all of God's people, shout aloud, Amen. Amen, church. Someone, can somebody give praise to the Lord. Somebody give praise to the Lord. Amen.